0: Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare to hear a word from God. Good morning. How are we doing, Adventure Church? So good to see you. Uh, I want to say, first of all, um, I love being with you guys. It's great to see you today. Uh, If you're a guest with us, uh, thank you for choosing to worship with us. And I promise, endure today. Come back next weekend. It'll be much better when Pastor Kyle's back, I can assure you. Uh, But it is wonderful to see you guys today. I love being with you for part two of making Jesus famous. And uh, we're going to walk through a passage of scripture with you today. Uh, And I just want to say for the record... um, I'm not a University of Oklahoma fan. I'm from Oklahoma, but I don't root for the Sooners, and so I grieve with you. Uh, I'm an Oklahoma State fan, so uh, one thing we both have in common is we hate Baker Mayfield, so can we just as Christians unite under our common hatred for Baker Mayfield together? So yes, Jesus, thank you. Um, but it is, it is good to see you guys today. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly appropriate, but that's all right. We'll keep going. Um, As Pastor Kyle said, I pastor a great church over in Indiana, Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, I've got some staff that are covering today, and I'm just excited to be with you. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I got my daughter with me, Abby. She's my oldest daughter. She decided to make a road trip with me. Uh, So I went to my church last night and uh, got done and got out, and then we made about the four-hour drive, got in about 12.30 to our hotel room and slept and got up. and So it's a quick trip, but I'm appreciative of her making the trip with me today. Uh, So, like I said, we are continuing our series called Making Jesus Famous. Last week, Pastor Kyle walked through Colossians chapter 3, the first few verses. And I would love for you to go back and listen to that. If you haven't um, already been a part of that or heard it, go back and listen and get caught up. Today, we're gonna walk through uh, another section of Colossians chapter three. So we'll pick it up in Colossians three, verse five. And typically, I use the English standard version. So if you usually use something different, it'll be okay. The the verses, I think, will be on the screen so you can follow along, just so you can make sure I'm not lying to you. Uh, Colossians three, five says this, uh, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And, and so what Paul is trying to do is help people make the shift from, um, from just a cultural Christianity. Because one of the things that the, church, the Colossian church was dealing with was they were watering down the gospel. Uh, they were mixing Jesus with other beliefs, and it was causing... Uh, It was causing Christianity to get watered down, and so what what Paul's attempting to do is help them draw a dividing line between uh, what is earthly and what is heavenly, what is godly, and so he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he names some things. And I know how Pastor Kyle functions. He doesn't always name things. I don't name sins typically when I'm preaching because when I do, somebody will go, oh, well, he didn't name my sins, so I must be okay. Um, so I'll, we'll talk about things and they'll go, well, he didn't talk about gossiping, so it must be fine. And so we can't name everything. But what Paul does here is he names some things. And he says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which he equates with idolatry, which is a big deal. Um, And and when we look at this, and I won't walk through all of them individually, but I want to I want to make a note of one specifically in this passage. Um, In the world we live in, sexual immorality has become become something that's rampant in culture. It is just the norm. Uh, There are things we permit and we put up with today that even five or six years ago we wouldn't have. That are just part of our culture. And this word, sexual impurity or immorality. The actual Greek word is pornea, which might sound familiar to you because that's where we get the word pornography or porn today. Um, And it literally means any kind of sexual contact outside the confines of marriage. So outside the bounds of marriage. So if it's uh, sexually impure thoughts or pornography or anything at all, Uh, So it's not just the big ones, adultery or fornication or those kind of things that are named in Scripture specifically. And so that's where Paul's trying to draw this line for us as Christians, and it's not about following the rules and saying, hey, if you do this, you're a bad person, but it's about saying, um, if if your heart is drawn to these things, then there should be a warning light going off in our souls to say, why am I continually drawn to things that are earthly and not heavenly? And so there needs to be a check in my spirit to say, okay, God, I need your help. To, that you can help direct my heart toward affection in you. Um, and so again, this isn't to condemn you or to tell you are the worst person in the world if you deal with this or struggle with this, because this is not just a male issue, it is a human being issue. And so what we wanna do is say, hey, uh, you know when you're driving down the highway and if you're not really paying attention, you, you get on the rumble strips and whoa, right? It scares you like, and you get back on the road and your wife hollers at you or whatever, you spill your coffee. Um, this should be a moment where we have that rumble strip moment in our spirit, where we're just heading down the road, minding our own business, and the Holy Spirit goes, hey, hey, what are you doing? We need to correct your direction here. Yes. And so it's not about condemnation, but it's about saying, hey, um, where's your heart being drawn? And so that's what Paul's saying here when he mentions these things. Even passion, it's funny, because uh, I- I'm a pretty passionate person, but it's it 's dangerous when our passions control us, so when our emotions control our actions, that can be dangerous and This is what paul 's talking about here when we let our emotions control our actions so he 's not just talking about big sins like sexual immorality he 's talking about just letting your emotions run away with you and saying things like, "Well, I overreact because i 'm Irish or i you know I just fly off the handle because that 's the way my parents have always been and we we. Just kind of excuse behavior and, because of our emotions. And, and Paul says, don't do that. You can't do it. And even covetousness, wanting what is not yours, uh, he equates that to idolatry. So all these things, what Paul's saying is if our heart is drawn in that direction, it should be a warning light. It should be a rumble strip that we go, okay, wait a second. Something's not quite right, God. Bring my heart into alignment with you. Um, he goes on in verse six to say, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them um, the book of Colossians was written at the same time or in the same period of time that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians as well. And so there's a lot of similar themes between these two books. And so if you're interested in the book of Colossians, I would encourage you to go back and read some of the Ephesians as well, because thematically they work pretty closely together. There's a lot of the similar language. And so in Ephesians chapter one, Paul talks about walking in sin or death. And so, um, he's using the same kind of language, but then when he says walk in, what he's really talking about is making this a part of our lives. So when he says, you too, or in these, you too once walked, so he's talking about these, the sins, just the way the world thinks, the way the world lives, that we don't judge it. We don't say, hey, we're better than that. I can't believe they act like that because we as believers once acted that way. And except for the grace of God, we still would act that way and live that way. Uh, And so what Paul says is we don't judge other people. We love them because we once walked in that way. That was the normal way of our lives. In verse 8, he says, but now. So there's this shift, this turn. So he says, this is the way things were going, but now there's a shift. And he says, uh, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Um, If you've got kids, you may understand this. Uh, And if you ever were a kid, then you might understand this too. Some of you, uh, I think, were born as adults, that's fine. Uh, But if if you were ever a child and your parents said, hey, if you wanna go to your friend's house, you gotta put all your toys away. Or maybe when you're a little older, your parents said, if you wanna stay out later, if you wanna go out, you're gonna have to put all your clothes away you know exactly what they meant, right? But I know for me, I would do the minimum amount of work. I would stuff it in drawers. I would hide it in closets. I would push it under the bed. And um, I'm sure your kids are godly and they never do that and lie to the, your parent tell lie to you. But my kids occasionally used to do that. And so I'd say, oh, well, hey, I said you could go to their house, but your room still, I told you to put away your stuff in your room. And you go, oh, uh, okay. And two minutes later, they'd be like, you can look at my room. And you'd walk in and be like, man, this is spotless. And then, like, you'd pull the covers off and all the clothes would explode because they hid it under the covers. or You know what I mean? They didn't put things away. They just covered it up. And what happens so many times is the Spirit of God tells us, hey, these things that are not uh, of God, these things that are earthly, you need to put them away. Just, Just get rid of them entirely. And we go, okay, we'll put them away. And then what we really do is just cover it up. We make things look really good. We know when to raise our hands in church. We know when to act right and, hey, brother, how are you, brother? I'm good, brother. How are you, right? We know all the right things to say, but we don't put things away. We just cover them up. It's kind of like if you've got a yard and you've got weeds in the yard, you're not really, you don't really have a yard. you got weeds, right? And so you got to mow the yard every two days. But if you mow the yard every two days, it looks great. It, it doesn't look like you got weeds, Right? And so a lot of times as Christians, we just mow the weeds. We don't get rid of the problem, we just cover it up. We just make it look better. But what Paul is saying to the, the, the Colossian church is, don't just cover things up, put them away. And he names some more things, these anger, wrath, malice, all these things, we put it away. He talks about our words. Um, so many times in churches, it's easy to, um, to have a, a concern about someone. Well, I'm not gossiping about Pastor Kyle, I'm just concerned about the messages. <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm not angry about the music. I'm just concerned about it. It's not what I want it to be. It's not. It's too loud. It's too quiet. All these kind of things. And this is the thing: um, we can spiritualize things. But at the end of the day, if we don't control our tongue, uh, then what we're doing is we're not putting away earthly things. That doesn't mean we can't be critical in a good way. But I tell our people this all the time: gripes go up the flow chart. Vision goes down the flow chart. So if you've got a concern about something going on in Adventure Church, you don't talk to your buddy about it who can't do anything. You don't talk to your friend about it who's just going to go, yeah, you're right, they stink. You know what you do? You go have a conversation with somebody in leadership and authority and go, hey, I'm concerned about this. Can we walk through it? And they'll go, yeah. That's not gossip. But if you talk to someone who can't fix a problem, that's gossip. Okay, that's my side note. Bonus coverage is not even in my notes. Um, let me go on. Verse 10, it says this, and have put on the new self. So he talks about putting off the old self and its practices and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, my wife had a counseling practice in Oklahoma City and, uh, before we moved to Pennsylvania, and uh, man, she dealt with some really difficult things. And she would never share details with me because of HEPA laws and things like that. So I never knew any specifics, but she would come home and just say, man, I had this really hard situation today with this eight-year-old boy and he's in this, in the home life and it's not healthy. And, you know, and she was struggling with that stuff. And she, she talked to her mentor because she was struggling bringing it home with her every day. And she talked to one of her mentors, and her mentor said, hey, you know what you need to do when you get home every day? And she said, no. She said, change your clothes. She said, what? And she said, yeah, take off your work clothes and put on a different, just something different, and it'll change your mindset. And literally, that's what she started doing. Every day, she'd come home, and before uh, she did anything else, she wouldn't start dinner, she wouldn't do anything, she would go right to the bedroom, she'd change her clothes and come out. And it was just this act of taking off the work clothes and putting on new clothes that just freed her from having to think about it and be connected to it so much. Um, And there's this very real idea that in Christ, we talk about baptism being buried with Christ and rising with Christ as well. But in us, in a very real sense, what we do is we take off the old man, we take off our old self, we set it aside, put it away. And in Christ, we put on the new man. And and there's a shift in mindset for us that our values should begin to line up with Christ's values for us uh, and for the world, that the things we love uh, should go away and and we should start loving the things that God loves. And if it doesn't, then what we have to understand is we're not putting on our new self, we're just cleaning up our old self. There has to be a shift, dramatic shift in us. And so you say, well, how does that happen? (laughs) What does that even look like? Uh, and, And... There's a powerful word here in verse 10, and it said, um, so we we put off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, This word knowledge here, it's a Greek word, it's epignosis. And epignosis, it it literally means um, knowledge, a true knowledge uh, that's gained through experience. And so, what it means is when we truly experience Christ, our mind is shifted, our life is changed. That's why we see in Romans 12 too, uh, it says that we're being renewed in our mind through Christ. And what it means is our mind is changing. We begin to think like Christ thinks and have the mind of Christ. And so that only happens, it doesn't happen by not, by just seeing something, it happens by experiencing something. Um, some of you, you, you like Twitter because you can follow your favorite athletes or your favorite celebrities or whatever it might be. Um, now, I, I live in, in Steeler country uh, over in southwestern Pennsylvania. And if, if you want to argue, you could say the entire United States is Steeler country, but we won't go there. But um, there are a lot of people who love Ben Roethlisberger. And if I followed Ben Roethlisberger on Twitter, I could tell you he posts a picture of his kids and where they eat dinner and all those things. And it's great because you can get to know who Ben Roethlisberger is. But, but Ben Roethlisberger does not know me, right? And in fact, I could prove it. If I went to his house and I was sitting in his hot tub when he got home with his family from dinner one night. What's up, big Ben? It would take about two seconds for him to tase me in the hot tub, right? And that would be it. I don't. I might know him, but he doesn't know me. And this is what we see all the time in our relationship with Christ. There are so many people who have a knowledge of who Jesus is, but they don't know him through experience. In fact, um, we actually see this um, in Ephesians. Uh, Paul talks about this the same kind of, well, it's the same word, the same word knowledge. Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, he's talking about the Ephesian church, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him. So he says, as you truly know Jesus through experience, as you really experience his goodness and his mercy and his grace, you're gonna have this, this, this spirit of revelation and wisdom are gonna come upon you. And how does that happen? Through a knowledge, through an experience of who Jesus really is, through knowing experiential knowledge. So it's important for us not just to know who Jesus is, and this was a problem even in, even in the Old Testament, even in ancient times. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, brothers, and this is Paul talking about Jewish, Jewish people. And he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they be saved. So what Paul is saying is, I want them to be saved. I want them to know Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what Paul is saying is uh, they have a zeal for God and they have an intellectual knowledge of who God is, but they don't have an experiential knowledge, a heart knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And that is all the difference. Um, Because they're zealous about fulfilling the law. If you look in the Old Testament, there are over 600 rules. There were 600 thou shalt and thou shalt nots so they had to follow and live by. And they literally would keep score and keep track of these, especially the higher religious authority and the Jewish, they would keep track of how righteous they were. And they felt like that would save them. But what Paul says is, no, 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 it's not your righteousness that saves you. It's the righteousness of Jesus that we take on. So when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our righteousness. Thank God he sees the righteousness of Jesus over us. So, What we have to do and understand is um, they were gonna miss, they're missing heaven because they didn't experience Jesus. They were righteous, they fulfilled the law, they did lots of good things, but none of those things matter because they never experienced Jesus. They didn't have a true knowledge of who he was. And I'd love to say this is just Old Testament stuff because today we're good. But, But we do the same thing today. We think, well, if I just go to church enough, then God will owe me. There's this big scale, and I owe God right now, but if I go to church enough, it'll balance out, and I'll be okay. Maybe if I give in the offering, then. Maybe if I, small group, man, they've been bugging me about serving. I guess if I serve. No, you will never balance the scales. You're doing the same thing that the Jewish authority did, that they tried to live out their lives with their own righteousness, because they lacked knowledge, a true experiential knowledge. And I want to encourage you today, um, Our lives are changed not through attending church. Our lives are changed by experiencing a risen Savior. When we experience Jesus, our life is changed. When we experience Jesus, our families are changed. When we experience Jesus, our communities are changed. People don't need just another thing to do during the week. Weekends are busy. Do you know what they need? They need to experience Jesus. Do you know what you need? To experience Jesus. That's what that's what Paul's trying to help the Colossian church understand. That at the end of the day, you're renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. That's how we're renewed. That's how we're transformed by connecting with him experientially. Letting him rule our lives, as scary as that might be. He shifts then. And he says here, um, here in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, uh, slave free, but Christ in is all and in all. And I love this passage. Uh, in our world that we live in today, there's so much division, um, you know, between ethnicities, uh, black and white and uh, Democrat and Republican and rich and poor and all the lines you wanna draw. There's so much division. But what, what Paul so beautifully states is in the body of Christ, there is no dividing wall. And you see the same sentiment in Ephesians 2, but there's no dividing wall any longer. So the things that divided us before, uh, now there's there's freedom, there's unity. Uh, There's this picture in the Old Testament of the ancient temple. And there were different courts in the temple that you could enter into. And the, the outer court was the only place that non-Jewish people could go. And then there was a, another court that Jewish women could go into. And then there was another court that Jewish men could go into. And then there was another court for the, the, high, the priests could go into. And then there was one place, the Holy of Holies, where, where once a year one priest could go in and offer sacrifice and worship in the presence of God. But what we see in Christ and what Paul talks about is now there's no dividing line. There's no dividing line between races, between um, social classes, none of those things exist in the body of Christ. And what he says is, is there's actually not even a dividing line between us and God. So we're reconciled not only to God, but in the process, we're reconciled to each other as well. So in the body of Christ, uh, he says here, there's not Greek or Jew. And then he says, not circumcised and uncircumcised. And this was a big deal to Jewish believers and people um, people that were not Jewish as well, because Jews looked at people who were not circumcised and they looked down on them because they felt like they had some sort of false religious um, uh, belief, that they weren't really who they claimed to be. And so what Paul says is all that stuff goes away. The religious rhetoric, all that junk goes away. And then the statement he makes at the end of this passage is, but Christ is all and in all. This is Paul's focus. And he says, Christ is everything, everything. Christ isn't something we slot into our schedule when we can. Christ is the center of everything we are, our existence. He says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. So he tells us to put off the old things. He tells us the old things to put off. And then in verse 12, he he shifts and he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He says the, the, way, the means by which we've been forgiven is the same way we forgive others. That's, that's challenging. I'm a pastor, and I lead a church, and it's still challenging for me. Because I want to be forgiven quickly, right? Well, they just don't understand. If they would just see my point of view, Right? But then when it's time for me to forgive others, I go, oh, I know how they think. I know how they, I know what their motivation is. But What Paul says here is, no, 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 you forgive in the same manner in which you've been forgiven. And God didn't say, well, I guess I'll forgive you, but you owe me big time. That's what we do, though. So I'll forgive them, but I'm never going to forget this. They're going to owe me big time. And Paul draws this line and says, you don't do that. We forgive just in the same banner that we've been forgiven. We put on these things that we take off the old things. We put on the new things. We have a new mindset in Christ through knowledge of him, experiencing him. And listen to this in verse 14. He says, and above all, all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And again, it sounds like such a cliche in church to talk about love, um, but it's true he says love is what binds all these things together if you want to have the mind of christ then we have to begin loving people like christ loves people um we have to love others sacrificially and selflessly and if we don't then we shouldn't wonder why no one wants to get saved in our churches and why our Christi- our faith and our christianity is not attractive to unbelievers um Because that's key. In fact, it's so important in John chapter 13, this is what Jesus said to his followers. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So Jesus tells his church this. You know what Jesus didn't say? If you're really my followers, you're gonna stop drinking alcohol. He didn't say, if you're really my followers, you're going to stop that cussing. He didn't say, if you're really my followers, enter in your own thing there. You you don't go see certain types of movies. He didn't say that. Am I saying you can do whatever you want? No. What I'm saying is, when we get this thing right, that we love people well and we love God well, everything else will fall into place. Um, If you've ever gotten dressed in the morning like... So I don't wear button up shirts very often. Um, we're pretty blue collar and, and I don't, well, I'll i wear this to church but like in the office I wear a t-shirt most of the time. Uh, blue jeans and t-shirt, we're, we're working class in our church. And, and so once in a while I'll put on a dress shirt like this and I'll get to the bottom and I'm like, I got an extra button and I'm like, oh shoot, what did I do, Like right? And what happened is I got the first button wrong and as a result all the other buttons were off on my shirt and I look all janky if I don't catch myself before I got the door. Um, but this is what happens in our spiritual lives. We get so concerned about every other button that we miss the first button. The, the, the most important thing, if we'll just get it right, everything else will begin to fall in line. And the most important thing is loving God really well. And if he captures our heart and we have an experiential knowledge of who he is, our lives change and we begin to love people who we really struggled to love before. And it might still be a struggle at times, but it changes us. And then everything else begins to fall into place. That's that's why Jesus didn't say, start acting right, and then I'll love you more. He said, no, 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 no. Let me capture your heart, and I want you to capture my heart, and then let's see what happens. Has anybody gotten the flu shot ever in your life? Anybody? Flu shot? Okay, yeah. Um, What is the flu shot? Anybody? It's the flu, right? Has anybody ever gotten the flu from the flu shot? Okay, a couple of you. It's because it's a watered-down version of the flu. So there's a chance you can get the symptoms. Now, you probably won't be contagious from it, uh, but there's a chance you could get the flu from it because it's a watered-down version of the flu. And they give you this flu shot to inoculate you from the real flu, right? And this is what I think has happened in our world. I think there are a lot of people in the world we live in today who have a version of Christianity. Christianity but we don't really know Christ. And so as a result, we see people who have rejected Christianity because they've been exposed to a watered-down version of it. They've been exposed to a version of Christianity that lacks power and authority and and lacks the ability to set people free because what we've done is we've adopted Christianity light where we can be nice and love people and just go to church and feel good when we leave, but at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything because we don't have an epignosis, experiential knowledge of who Jesus really is. And as a result, people go, nah, I'm not interested. And we go, well, they rejected Christianity. No, they've become inoculated to true Christianity because they've been exposed to the watered-down version of it. And we have to be careful in our lives that we don't proclaim ourselves as Christians and say, oh, I'm a believer, but we've never really experienced who Jesus is because that's what changes everything. That's what allows us to put away the old man and put on the new man and see our lives changed. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not instantaneous. There's there's this process of sanctification where we grow in our faith. But at the end of the day, it's about us becoming who God wants us to be. It's about us uh, putting away our old self and taking on our new self. And a big part of that is us being unified in the body. Us loving each other well. You know, one of the most powerful things that Jesus ever did, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane just Hours before his crucifixion. And he's praying to God. And this is the prayer where he says, uh, Heavenly Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But then he says in John 17, the glory that you have given me, so he's talking to God, and he says, God, the glory you've given me, I've given to them, he's talking about his followers, that they may be one even as we are one. So his prayer is, God, let my church, let my bride be one. Let them be unified in the same way that we are unified. It's his prayer for us. So when we experience Christ and when we are unified in the body, when we love each other well, we are answering Jesus' prayer to God. It is a response to that. He goes on to say, listen to this, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Let them be unified so the world can see you really are who you say you are, God. How does that happen? How does a group of very unique people come together and worship God together and live in a unified way, even though we've got very different ideas and personalities and values and all those kind of things? How do we do it? It's because we pursue Christ together. I've told couples this in marriage counseling, that um, no matter where they're at, if there are two people in very different places and they are pursuing one geographic point together, at some point they're going to intersect. Does that make sense? I mean, this is geometry here. you got two people in different places and they're pursuing one point. They're going to draw closer and closer and closer and closer together until they get to that point. If you're having marriage problems you know what you do, I mean, it sounds like churchy. It sounds like something a pastor says. Pursue Christ. Because maybe you're having a hard time loving your spouse right now. I get it. But you know what you do? You pursue Christ. And almost by accident, you're gonna begin to fall in love with each other again because as you pursue Christ, you're coming closer together. And that's what we do in the body of Christ. When you come into contact with people that have very different ideas of you than you do, then a very different personality, that they are just, that one rogue Michigan fan that shows up to church, right? How do you love them? Well, they're never gonna stop loving Michigan. You're never gonna stop loving OSU. So what do you do? You pursue Christ. You set aside your differences and say, we're gonna love God really, really well. And because I love God well, it's gonna cause me to love you well. That's what Jesus has prayed for us. That's what his desire for us is. That's our response to the gospel. We put on the new and we take off the old. And we let the world see how incredibly good our God is. See, we unite under our affection and pursuit of Jesus and our desire to make him famous. (laughs) Everything else is secondary. Remember what we said earlier in Colossians, it said Christ is all and in all. Christ is everything. But we also have to understand as children of God, we are his image bearers. And that even the person you're in disagreement with who's very different than you, they're the image bearer of Christ, that he is a son of God. She's a son, a daughter of God, and that they have value because of that, because Christ is all and in all. So what do we do? We say, God, you've got my whole heart. You've got my whole life. I, I want to know you, and not just a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. And because of that, I'm going to be changed. I'm going to love people well. I'm going to love you well. That's what God's called us to do. That's It's not something he's making us do, it's something he's inviting us to do. That's exciting to me. Let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much, and we're so grateful that you loved us so much you sent your son to die for us. I pray today as we come before you, God, our hearts would be fully captured by you. That The beauty of the cross, the beauty of Christ's sacrifice for us would just capture our hearts. Lord, I pray today that we would experience you for who you really are. Lord, not some watered down version, not some Christianity light, but Lord, let us experience you and let it change everything. Lord, I know that's scary because some people don't want their life to change, but Lord, that is your desire is that we will put on the new and take off the old. Lord, we'll begin resembling you. We'll love the things you love, value the things you value. So God, I pray that that would be our desire too. God, I pray for unity in this house today. I pray that you would unite us, Lord, just like the prayer of Christ said, make them one as we are one. Lord, make this body one today. No matter what our differences are, no matter what our backgrounds are today, under the banner of Christ, let us be one. Lord, I pray for those that are here who don't yet know you. They're not in relationship with you. God, I pray that they would be so attracted to who you are and what you want to do in, in their lives that, God, it would it would be a moment that would be a no-brainer for them, that they would respond to you and, and your presence and your spirit in this place. God, I pray that the people in this room would live out a life of faith with such passion and reckless abandon that it would, it would be attractive to people around us, that people would experience true Christianity through our lives, through our words, through our actions, even through our intentions. And God, I pray that that would change everything. Because Lord, it's not about us, it's about you and making you known and famous in this world. So God, I pray that we would not be satisfied until you are known to everyone we come into contact with. Lord, let us pursue you relentlessly. And as we do, let our lives be changed and transformed. Let us love you well and let us love the people around us well. And let that be a sign to the world that we are your disciples and that you are who you say you are. So God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not in relationship with him, but I wanna be in relationship with him. Um, Here at Adventure Church, we're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna point you out. We just wanna pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I wanna make a, a confession of Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to I really know him. I want to experience him like never before. And I want to make him Lord of my life. If that's you, would you be bold enough with no one looking around, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Is there anyone? Adventure Church, let's pray this prayer with those that are praying it for the first time today. Dear Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful that you love us. We're asking you today to forgive us, forgive us of all our sins, wash us with your blood, and make us whole, help us live lives that bring glory to you, and help make you famous in this world. We're never going back to our old ways, our old lives, but today I am yours, and today you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen.